Tonight we're in Exodus chapter 9. If you would turn with me in your Bibles, on Wednesday nights we're going through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. And we are in Exodus chapter 9 this evening. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we look at the taskmasters in our lives, the daily routine, the grind, the, the slavery, if you would, Lord, we thank you that you're using those things to show us your name, to show us your character in a greater way. And though we long for deliverance and we long for breakthrough, and many times the trial lasts longer than we would desire, uh, we know that you are, are doing a great work. So I pray for those tonight that find themselves in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of wanting to give up, of wondering where you are, that you would minister to them, that you would minister to us. And uh, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Pharaoh is on the throne and he's the most powerful person in the land. However, God is much more powerful. We're going to see God's sovereignty reigning over Pharaoh. Moses is confronting Pharaoh and so far there's already been several plagues that have uh, taken place. Water was turned to blood. You have the frogs, the lice, and the flies. Pharaoh continues to harden his heart And in the midst of this, we have to ask the question, God could have delivered any way that he wanted to. He could have delivered in a moment, couldn't he? But instead, it's this long series of plagues. In fact, sometimes it's even a little bit laborious to read through the plagues, isn't it? You're just, you're reading through this pounding after pounding after pounding, and you're thinking, man, there's got to be an easier way for deliverance for the children of Israel. But God as he's always doing, is purposeful in this because he's revealing himself to the Egyptians. He's showing himself more powerful than the Egyptians, but he's also revealing himself to the nation of Israel. He's going to declare for generations to come, I did this in this way so that you would know my power. And then also we'll see that God's painting a picture of the gospel because we're under the taskmaster of sin. And ultimately it's going to be the blood of the lamb the Passover that's going to lead to the deliverance of the children of Israel from bondage. And it's Jesus as the ultimate lamb, as the ultimate sacrifice that results in us being delivered from sin, the taskmaster. So I know that there's stuff grinding you in your life. Do you feel like you're being ground a bit? There's a Pharaoh in your life, if you would. There's hard hearts around you. You've ever looked around and gone, man, I I sure have a boss that's got a hard heart. Or there's hard hearts in, in my family. And yet God in the midst of that taskmaster and those hard hearts is doing a work to show us his glory and his character in a greater way. And then also if we're going through trial and difficulty tonight, these chapters help us realize it's not that bad. Like we're not surrounded by locusts, right? The water hasn't turned to blood. Not yet, right? So it encourages us in that way. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and tell him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. The emphasis of God saying, let my people go. Pharaoh feels that the people belong to him. They're slaves. He viewed them as his own property. But God says, no, they belong to me. And I want you to let my people go. 
In verse 2, for if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on your horses, on the donkeys, and on the camels, and on the oxen, and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. So this next plague is going to affect the livestock. And the Lord will make difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so nothing shall die of that that belongs to the children of Israel. Starting with the flies, God starts to distinguish between the Egyptians and his people. So the plagues will affect the Egyptians, but they won't affect God's people. And that's going to be true of the livestock as well. The Egyptians' livestock will not be affected, but the Israelites, the Hebrews, their livestock will be just fine. Peter writes this, and he says, And the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Paraphrase, God knows how to save his people and bring judgment upon those who don't know the Lord. And we see that example here as we we go through this. Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So this pestilence upon the livestock is going to happen at an appointed time tomorrow. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all of the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. So it's really difficult to go through a trial, isn't it? But it's even harder when someone else is not going through the trial. (laughs) So here you are getting your can kicked, and you look across the street, and your neighbors are getting blessed, right? So the Egyptians are losing all their livestock while the Hebrews are not being affected. And what does Pharaoh do? He hardens his heart. So you have this two things taking place in the text where Pharaoh's choosing to harden his heart and then God is hardening Pharaoh's heart. God is affirming and confirming the heart condition of Pharaoh. So the lesson is be careful in hardening your heart against God because at some point God's going to confirm that decision. He's going to say, okay, I'm going to use that hard heart for my glory as well. God would much rather use a soft heart for his glory. But even a hard heart he can use for his glory as well. God's glory is going to be revealed through Pharaoh, even in his hard-hearted state. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handful of ash from a furnace, and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh, and it will become fine dust in the land of Egypt, and it will cause the boils that break out in sores, on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So after the cattle's been affected, now boils are going to break out for the Egyptians upon them and whatever beasts are, are left. So if you have a household dog, he gets a boil as well, right? So everything is affected in Egypt with, with these boils. Then they took ash from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them toward heaven And they caused boils that break out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. So the magicians had to call in sick. Like, hey, we need a sick day. We can't even go in 
to your presence, Pharaoh. We can't stand up against Moses and Aaron. Do you remember at the beginning of this that Moses and Aaron would do a miraculous sign before Pharaoh and the magicians would copy it? Well, now the magicians are completely humbled. You know, they're not able to, to copy this in any way, shape, or form, and they're not even able to show up at work. Some Bible commentators uh, believe that this furnace that is mentioned was actually a furnace to worship one of the false gods of Egypt, and they would sacrifice people, human sacrifice, to appease this false god. And it's from this place that Moses and Aaron get the ashes, and in a sense, humbling Egypt with their false worship, with their idols. Now, we don't know that to be the case or not. That's kind of the speculation of some of the Bible commentators, but it could be very possible. But nonetheless, God's humbling Pharaoh, humbling the Egyptians with these sores, with these boils that are all over them. I don't know if you've ever had a a boil or a loved one or a friend have a boil, but uncomfortable, painful, and all of Egypt is affected. Verse 12, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he didn't heed them just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So Pharaoh hardened his heart, but now God's hardening his heart. God is affirming and confirming that heart condition just as the Lord had promised to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. Relentless with the message. God just keeps sending the same text message to Pharaoh. Let my people go. Let my people go. And Moses is that faithful messenger. Moses just keeps sending the send button. Can you imagine if you're Pharaoh and all these things are happening? The flies, the frogs, the boils, the livestock. You're getting up. And here comes Moses and Aaron. You're like, I do not want to see you again today. Get out of my face. Like, really? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear from you again? For at this time, I will send all my plagues to your very heart and your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. So God says, I'm really going to get after it now. I'm going to send all my plagues upon you. And it's going to hit your heart. And ultimately, it's going to cost Pharaoh and the Egyptians their firstborn. And the reason that God is doing this, it says, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Remember, the Egyptians are grossly polytheistic, believing in many gods. And here God is saying, I'm the one true living God. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to humble you. And so God has a plan in the way that he is delivering the children of Israel. This is systematic by God to reveal his glory to the Egyptians and to to the Israelites. God's revealing himself. Verse 15, now if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. God is saying, really, I'm taking it easy on you. If I wanted to, I could just completely wipe you out. And it's very evident in this. You know, very easily God could have wiped out the, the Egyptians. Verse 16, but indeed for this purpose I've raised you up that I may show you, that I may show my power in you and that my name will be declared in all of the earth. This is quite the verse. I want to read it one more time. But indeed for this purpose I've raised you, Pharaoh, up that I may show my power in you and that my name will be declared in 
all of the earth. God is able to do what he wants and do what he pleases. And in Romans chapter 9, verse 21, God says, Does not the potter have power over the clay for the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? And there's an aspect of God where we need to stand in awe of his power, his majesty, and his his sovereignty. And the Lord has every right to raise Pharaoh up to show his glory through Pharaoh. And yes, Pharaoh played a part in that, in choosing to have a hard heart. And then God confirms Pharaoh's heart condition, but God has revealed his glory and his power through this experience with Pharaoh. It's hard for us to totally relate to this if we're living during this time. I mean, Pharaoh's the most powerful guy in this region, if not on the planet. He's got all the cards. He's got the money. He's got the power. He's got the labor force with the Hebrews as his slaves. I mean, he is living in dynasty. And God's saying, no, Pharaoh, you are not the most important or powerful, and you're hardening your heart against me. And ultimately, I'm going to humble you and show you my glory. Like if we were to try to say, what are the most three powerful leaders in the world today that lead from a national scale? And what's their heart condition towards God? And could God humble them and show his glory through them? Absolutely. And I think this is refreshing for us. We need to remember this because there's a lot of things that are happening on an international scale and on a national scale, aren't they? I mean, if you've been following the news, uh, you see Saudi Arabia had their oil plant bombed, and many believe that Iran is behind that. And we understand that our gas prices are going way up. I have a 1978 Chevy pickup truck that just got a lot more expensive to drive, eight miles to the gallon. Do the math, right? We're like, man, something's going on, and there's all this tension that's taking place with uh, Iran. And there seems to be all of these powerful figures that are in place, North Korea and China and dynamics in in our own country. And God is the one who's sovereign. God is the one who is the potter and it's clay in God's hands and God chooses to do what he wants to do. And he would love for them to humble their hearts before him, but if they won't, he will use that hard heart even to be able to declare his glory. So in this time, you'd go, Pharaoh is a big deal. And at the end of this, you'd go, no, God's a big deal. And that's the message for us. So what's the Pharaoh in your life, you know? What's that person with a hard heart that you go, they're a taskmaster. Pharaoh made the life of the children of Israel miserable as slaves. And what is it in your life that you go, man, this is just miserable in my life. This is the the Pharaoh in my life. Realize God is working to show his glory. And usually it's not on the timetable that we would choose. Remember the Egyptians were slaves, or the Hebrews were slaves for 400 years, right? In this process of deliverance, it takes time, but God has a purpose in it. There's not always in scripture where God says, for indeed for this purpose. So when we get that, we want to pause and say, okay, What is the purpose? What is God doing? And he's declaring his name. He's declaring his power over Pharaoh. In verse 17, and yet you exalted yourself against my people and that you will not let them go. So Pharaoh is exalting himself against Israel, against God by not letting them go. Behold, tomorrow about this time, 
I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as not been in Egypt since its founding until now. So this is not your normal Colorado Springs hailstorm, right? This is above and beyond what would normally take place. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man and on every animal which is found in the field, and it's not, and is not brought home, and they shall die. For he who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. This gives opportunity for them to give regard to the word of the Lord. <laughs> And for those that were paying attention, when God speaks through Moses, it's going to happen. So I'm going to make sure that I'm inside tomorrow. I'm going to make sure that all of my livestock is inside tomorrow. I'm going to make sure my kids are inside tomorrow. Make sure my servants are, are inside tomorrow. I'm going to regard the word of the Lord. And so verse 21, but he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. And isn't this true today? God gives his word to give us the opportunity if we're going to regard it or not. God gives the invitation of salvation for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a broad invitation, whosoever. But then who regards the word of the Lord? Who trusts in Jesus for salvation to receive grace and forgiveness of sins? And then who are those that disregard God's word? But we know God's word is true and it's going to be faithful. So verse 22, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven and there may be hail in the land of Egypt on man, on beast, on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So it doesn't say lightning, it says fire. <laughs> so you've got this huge hailstorm with fire coming down from heaven. Now the boy inside of me says, cool. You know, that part of it I would have liked to have seen, right? Wouldn't want to get stuck in that uh, storm. So there was hail and fire mingled with hell, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt and all that was in the field, both man and beast, and hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. <laughs> Amazing. Far out, right? So Goshen's where all the Israelites live, and this perimeter around Goshen is just pounded with hail. All of the vegetation is affected. Everybody who was out in the hail Yet in Goshen, there's no hail. I mean, that's trippy sometimes even here in Colorado Springs. It's like this massive hail storm and thunder and lightning. You go half a block and there's nothing, right? You just lived on the unfortunate block, you know? And Goshen is totally protected. God knows how to protect his people from his judgment. Verse 17, 27. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail for it is enough. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. 
This sounds really good. Okay, if you were going to write an apology, this is probably what it should sound like. I mean, Hallmark should put this in a card, in an I'm sorry card, right? It's got all the elements. I've sinned. I acknowledge my wrong. The Lord's righteous. God's the one who's, who's right on. Me and my people are wicked. So, so go ask the Lord that he would stop this storm, and then I'll make things right. I'll, I'll let the people go. But Pharaoh's heart's not there. His heart hasn't come to a place where he's truly sorry, where there's repentance. This is merely words that he's speaking. And it's a desire for Pharaoh to have the consequences go away. He wants the hail to stop. He wants the fire from heaven to quit coming down. And it's easy to say, I've sinned, isn't it? And it's easy to say, I'm sorry. And it's important to do that. But what's even more important is to have our heart mean it. To really have our heart connected to the words that I'm speaking of, God, I've sinned against you. God knows our hearts. You know, we know the heart of a child when they're really sorry and when they're just saying they're sorry, right? How much more so does God know our hearts and go, Eric, you're just saying the words. You don't have any intention of changing. You don't have any intention of of lining your actions right with me. And that, that was Pharaoh. And so we can say words all day long, but it's another thing to really have our hearts broken and to turn away from the sin and to get right with the Lord. The refreshment comes, the restoration comes, the forgiveness flows when there is a true broken heart, when there is the repentance of sin. But God also knows us well enough to know when we're playing the game, when we're simply speaking the words without following through in the actions. Moses knows that Pharaoh hasn't gotten to that genuine place of brokenness. So Moses said to him, as soon as I've gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord your God. So Moses is not buying the lip service. Verse 31, now the flax and the barley were struck For the barley was in the head and the flax was in the bud, but the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are the late crops. So the flax and the barley were completely destroyed, but the spelt and the wheat were spared. So even God's mercy in his judgment. So Moses went out out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord. And then the thunder and hail ceased and the rain was not poured out on the earth. What a sight to see Moses out praying, stretching out his hands before God, and the hail, it stops. The thunder and the lightning, it stops. And when Pharaoh saw the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more and he hardened his hearts, and he, he and his servants. So once Pharaoh has the consequences stop, then he moves forward with his sin. And hardens his heart. The sin was to continue to harden his heart with the revelation that he'd received from God. So how about for us? You know, we cry out to the Lord in repentance, quote unquote. The consequences go away. The storm stops. And then all of a sudden we're like, man, I'm going back to my sin. I'm going to continue in my hard-hearted state. What stood out to me in verse 34 is that his servants followed his hard-hearted track. 
So Pharaoh's hardening his heart, but his servants are as well. And his servants are rejecting the revelation of God. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Try to put yourself in the, in the Hebrew shoes. God's promising deliverance. You're watching all these plagues go down and you're like, when's the taskmaster gonna fall? And maybe that's what we're asking tonight. When are my circumstances gonna change? When is this hard-hearted person that's in my life, when am I gonna be able to get out of their grip? Their grip? And yet God's working. And God's working through that taskmaster in our lives. And that's what the Lord speaks to in chapter 10. Now the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants that I may show these signs of mine before him that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. Did you catch that? So God is revealing himself to the Egyptians, but he's also revealing himself to the Israelites, saying, I've hardened Pharaoh's heart. I've hardened this this taskmaster so you can tell your son and you can tell your grandson of the great work that I did to set you free out of Egypt. Here we are, how many years later, talking about how God humbled the Egyptians and humbled Pharaoh and how powerful God is in his sovereignty. And this is what we need to be reminded. In the trial, God is building a testimony of himself to declare to future generations. The testimony is so great that we're going to want to pass it on to our kids and our grandkids. And you know, this is when God really met me. And this was when God was really faithful. I was in this grinder of a situation and God was faithful and he saw me through it. The way to really know the Lord doesn't take place by secondhand theology. Meaning that we just read it out of someone else's story, someone else's testimony. But a genuine, authentic relationship with the Lord is as we experience him. And how do we experience him when there's a Pharaoh in our lives? When God's not delivering on our timetable, when it seems to be drawn out and the Pharaoh's not going away and the difficulty's not going away, you're saying, man, I just want out of bondage, right? But the Lord is revealing himself to you. The Lord is revealing himself to you in such a way that you're going to be able to share it with others. So we wanna keep this in mind with trials. Is Pharaoh really the one who's in charge? No, God's in charge. And God's dealing with Pharaoh in such a way that his glory can be revealed. His testimony can be revealed to to future generations. Is there a time where you look in your your family's history, maybe with your parents or or your grandparents or your great-grandparents, where they have told you of God's faithfulness? Is there a friend that has gone through a hard time and they've been able to, to share with you the faithfulness of God through that trial and through that difficulty? I know this, and I can share this with you, but when I'm going through difficulty and challenge in my own life, it's difficult to remember, isn't it? It's difficult to say, yeah, God's got this, and he's working, and I can trust him, and he's building a wonderful testimony through this. In verse three, so Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, thus says the Lord God of Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourselves before me 
I get, bet you guys know what's going to be stated next. Let my people go that they may serve me. This is a good question. How long will Pharaoh not humble his heart? How long will we not humble our hearts before the Lord? Verse 4, or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. Things are going to go from bad to worse. And they shall cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. The cleanup crew from the hailstorm, the locusts. Anything that's left over, the locusts are just going to go through and they're going to devour it. They shall fill your houses, the houses of your servants, the house of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your father's fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day and he turned and went out from Pharaoh. At some point you'd think Pharaoh would be like, uncle, you know, like, okay, the blood, blood, water into blood, okay, I'll take that risk. Frogs, all right. Flies, lice. You'd think by the lice, he'd be like, I'm out. All the Hebrews, you guys just go. You're, get out of here. Get, get out of Dodge. But he just keeps hardening his heart. Moses keeps warning him. In verse 17, or verse 7, excuse me. Before I go on into verse 7, I just want to point this out. Is are you noticing a transformed Moses as we have read along? Remember Moses, he has a hard time speaking. He really doesn't want to be confronting Pharaoh. Tries to give his resignation to God, which doesn't go very well. Try resigning with the Lord. Say, Lord, I I don't want to do this. Ask Jonah how that goes, right? So Aaron is the spokesperson. But the longer that this happens, there's a transformation that happens in Moses where he's speaking more apart from from Aaron. God is growing a leader in the midst of this process as well. Moses is gaining confidence of God. He's more focused on God, and he's less focused on his own inadequacies. I think that's a huge lesson for us in this text, is as we serve the Lord, even though we have many inadequacies in and of ourselves, the further we get into that journey, we see how God is faithful And that frees us up from our insecurities. But for most of us, we go, well, I have this insecurity, so I'm not going to serve the Lord. Like Moses, we go, okay, this is a part of me that's broken, so I'm not going to serve the Lord. Moses went ahead, even though he was scared, even though he was nervous, even though he thought God had the wrong person, called the wrong person, and in time, God won out. Isn't that cool? So Moses' character is transformed as he's serving the Lord. So verse 7 Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? (laughs) Now the servants are going, Don't you get it, Pharaoh? You need to let him go. It's time. Are we in Pharaoh's position and we need to start listening to the voices of people around us? A spouse, a parent, a child, a friend, brothers and sisters in Christ, they're like, okay, it's time to let go. No, right? It's time for a change. No, I'm holding on, right? This is a good time for 
Pharaoh to listen to those voices around him, listen to godly counsel around us. So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones, who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. So Moses and Aaron respond and say, Look, we're all going, young and old. Then he said to them, The Lord had better be with you, When I let you and your little ones go, beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so, go now, for you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. So Pharaoh's like, yeah, go ahead and go. And then he's like, nope, only the men can go. And drives Moses and Aaron out from his presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt, for the locust, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses isn't going to settle for just the men being able to go. Pharaoh's obviously thinking if the the men go to worship, then they're going to have to come back because their wives and kids are here. So Moses isn't going to settle for that. So God says, go ahead, let's send the locust. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt And the Lord brought an east wind on the land all the day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And when the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested on the territory of Egypt, they were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened And they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all of the land of Egypt. So the locusts just come in and wipe them out and take out every bit of vegetation that's left. Every once in a while here in Colorado Springs, we get the Miller moth plague. Have you guys experienced that here? Seems like it's been a little while since we've had a a moth outbreak. But my wife and I, years ago, when we bought our first house here in Colorado Springs, it was, man, over 15 years ago. And I was a youth pastor here at Rocky Mountain Calvary. And it was an older home and had been built in 1947. The house didn't have any screens on it, and eventually we built some of our own screens to put into the window. But we just moved in, and it was hot and summertime. We decided to go ahead and crack a couple of windows in our bedroom and come to Saturday night church because the house would get uh, really hot. So church, worship, the word, fellowship, probably had a chicken burrito in the cafe, went home. We didn't have any kids uh, at the time. And there were moths everywhere in our bedroom. I mean, hundreds and thousands of moths in our bedroom, like moths underneath the mattress, moths everywhere, you know. And so we spent the next several hours into the wee hours of the morning just sucking up moths and killing moths. And someone had told us, get a a bowl uh, with, put dish soap in it so there's bubbles and put light on it and I'll, I'll... come to the, to the bowl, we're, we're trying everything, right? And it's just, 
it wasn't fun. It wasn't pleasant, right? So try to imagine a hundredfold locusts everywhere. Like you can't, you can't escape them. At least they were just in one bedroom in, in our in our house. They weren't over the whole entire city. I mean, imagine the locusts just crawling all over you right now during the Bible study, right? Lord bless you with that image. As we, Verse 16, then the Lord called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive me only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So once again, it sounds good, but there isn't genuine repentance here. There isn't genuine heart change. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Did you get the contrast there? So unbelievers are sorry about sin as well, but it leads to death because it's not a turning away from sin and a turning to Christ. But godly sorrow leads to what? It leads to repentance. It leads to a change of heart and a change of mind and a turning away from sin. And this is a warning to myself as well. It's a, it's a warning to all of us. If we find ourselves in this pattern of, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and there's no change, we were never sorry. We're never sorry. And yes, God forgives, absolutely, but we've got to come to a place of maturity of going, you know what? I never meant it. I never really got to a place where I was broken over it. Because as we get to that place of brokenness, there's that turning away from sin, not perfection, but a turning away uh, from sin. And maybe that's a, a warning sign in our life tonight. We go, man, I sure sound a lot like Pharaoh. I'm really upset with the consequences, but I'm not motivated to get right with God. I'm not motivated to have that repentance that the scripture speaks of. And I want to be clear, as there is that repentance, God, he restores and he comes and he brings redemption in our lives. So we end with these verses here and finish out the chapter. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord and the Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locusts away and blew them into the sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. So this darkness is so thick you couldn't see anyone. And you could feel the darkness, and God allowed it for three days. But yet in Goshen, where the children of Israel were, in their houses there was light, a supernatural light that only God could provide. And may God light our homes with his supernatural light, with his grace and his unconditional love that the world doesn't know. Why three days of darkness? How many days was Christ in a dark tomb? Three days. And then he rose from the dead, bringing the light to the world. How many days did the disciples sit in darkness, in despair, three days, and then the resurrection, and Christ brought light? 
So verse 24 and 25, then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, you must also give us sacrifice and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, you have spoken well. I will never see your face again. And next week we'll see the last plague the death of the firstborn, and the Passover, which leads to the children of Israel's deliverance. So we've seen God's sovereignty, God's reigning over Pharaoh to show his glory to the Egyptians, to show his glory to the Israelites, and to paint a picture to the, of the gospel. What's it gonna take for deliverance? It's gonna take the blood of the lamb. And what delivers us from sin? The blood of the lamb of Christ upon the cross. This is what I hope you hear tonight, and I hope you're encouraged with this tonight, is as you face a Pharaoh in your life, as you face a taskmaster in your life, maybe even as you're sitting here tonight, you're going, man, I sure hope he ends on time because I've got an early morning tomorrow. The clock keeps ticking. The bills continue to be there. Utilities, rent, mortgage, credit card payments, student loans, laundry, the taskmaster of life. And then you put another taskmaster into it and you go, man, I'm really dealing with someone's hard heart. I'm dealing with a Pharaoh in my life. When is there gonna be deliverance? Is God in this situation? Yes, God is in this situation and he is revealing his glory so that we have a testimony to share with future generations. So let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we don't always understand the trials in our lives. Many times we just, we want a reprieve. We want a, a breakthrough. And as the trials sometimes remain in our lives, we can wonder what you're doing or where you're at. God, may we be encouraged that you are working and you're working a testimony for your glory. For unbelievers to know your glory, for believers to be encouraged. We thank you that you are telling the story of your love, of your son dying on the cross for our sins. So thank you that you're with us and would you meet us tonight in communion. In Jesus' name, amen.